The reading of the scriptures this morning is from Acts chapter 16, uh, reading verses 25 to 40. So I invite you to uh, hear the word of the Lord and hear it in reverence and in faith. Acts chapter 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now out and go in peace. Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the continuing truths of uh, Scripture Certainly present in our passage this morning is that uh, God is uh, able to intervene regardless of the circumstances in life. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we feel we might be closed in. Uh, perhaps we feel we're in some kind of prison and yet God can intervene. That's really our, uh, our text this morning. And sometimes God uh, intervenes in very visible, dramatic ways, uh, very intense ways. Obviously, he does so in our passage this morning, but uh, more often than not, he intervenes in very subtle ways uh, that seemingly escape our attention. I've often thought in my own life in terms of a personal commentary that I'll think about some event in the past and I'll say, you know, God was there. I didn't know it at the time, but he was there. Uh, of course, God is always with us, but uh, it's his dramatic interventions, whether visible and intense or very subtly that we hardly even uh, know it until it's uh, come and gone. 
the important part of his uh, interventions is, is our response. So we're going to look at divine intervention, uh, and we're going to look at a number of different responses. Uh, in our case this morning, God intervenes in an earthquake uh, to save a jailer uh, and his household to remind us, uh, church, the people of God, that uh, we are to continue in the faith because God can intervene at any time in our lives whether individually or certainly corporately in the life of the church. Uh, well, as the text indicates, Paul and uh, Silas are unjustly charged before civil authorities. Uh, they're beaten and thrown into prison. Their response, of course, is a timeless one. They were praying and singing hymns. Typically, I start feeling sorry for myself and no, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns. Of course, we don't know the content of their prayers, but we should well expect that it's for God to intervene. I'm reminded of one of my favorite texts, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon the Lord because He cares for you. In a very intense and loving way, God cares for His people. A parallel to this event from the Old Testament is uh, Joseph's unjust imprisonment. If you want to turn uh, to Genesis uh, chapter 39, verse 21, uh, we have uh, God's intervention in terms of uh, Joseph. Again, Genesis 39, verse 21. So he's thrown into prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Very interesting that two years later, God intervened in releasing him from prison. Reminded to us, of course, of the sovereignty of God. Uh, Joseph had to patiently wait, but all the while, he was finding a favor with his jailer. Ultimately, Pharaoh releases Joseph after two years. Excellent reminder to patiently wait upon the Lord because he intervenes in his own time in his own way. Uh, and so we, we trust him because we know he is able to intervene. Uh, the singing in verse 25 of Acts 16 is that from which we have our English word for hymns. For the early church, it was the Psalter. And perhaps Paul and Silas were singing Psalm 105, which is about the story of Joseph. Again, if you want to turn the Psalter to Psalm 105, obviously I'm speculating, but it's certainly contextual in terms of the circumstances a reminder that we use uh, the Word of God in our prayers. We use the Word of God in our hymns. Uh, Psalm 105, uh, verses 17 uh, and uh, to 20. Uh, Joseph was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that the Word came to pass. The Word of the Lord tested him, and the king sent and released him. 
great reminder. Perhaps it constitutes uh, the hymn that Paul and Silas were singing. Also a powerful reminder that the word was present with him, tested him, was present, and God moved upon Pharaoh to release him because God is sovereign over the heart of Pharaoh. God had a special purpose for him. God has a special purpose for Paul and Silas. I would remind you that God has a special purpose in your life. And so we can wait patiently for God to intervene. And that he does so in his time. Great reminder of the nature of God, his entire sovereignty over all of life. Every second of every day uh, that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. And that's our hope in the different prisons of life. John Calvin once wrote that ignorance of the providence of God is the source of much anxiety. God is a God of providence. Uh, He loves his uh, sons and daughters. He has special purposes for them. Let's remind ourselves of that from the Scriptures. Uh, Ephesians uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. We oftentimes lose sight of the fact that we are God's uh, special creations as His sons and daughters. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. Purpose of our life. Uh, God has uh, set His favor upon us just like He set His favor upon Joseph. And that favor is uh, radically expressed in Ephesians chapter 1. With respect to the Apostle Paul, uh, he speaks of his own times of uh, imprisonment, in uh, uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2 and verse 9, perhaps referencing this in prison. Uh, notice his words. First uh, Timothy, uh, pardon me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. God's presence, God's intervention. Well, in our case this morning, God intervenes immediately and answers with a great earthquake. Uh, the word is literally shaking. That God shakes His creation. We only read of a targeted shaking here. I find that very unusual. Uh, just simply commands the creation to shake, to uh, open the prison doors and cause the fetters to fall off. Imagine the power that that takes. Uh, Some of you I know, particularly uh, those of you who lived in Alaska, I I know you've experienced great earthquakes. I know on occasion in Oklahoma we face uh, slight tremors. Uh, Think of it in the sense of God saying, shake now, and the earth shakes, and things happen according to God's divine purposes. Interesting that this word of uh, earthquake is used at the crucifixion of our uh, Savior. 
at his resurrection, and in the book of the Revelation in acts of judgment. Because he's sovereign over nature. Nature, you and I on occasion reflect on the power of its force, the winds and the waves. God is behind it all. Of course, there's natural law, but God sets that in motion by his own sovereign purposes, his own sovereign power. And at any point, he can interrupt natural law and impose his will. And that's what he's doing here. He's not bound because he lives above natural law. He's the one that defines it and puts it in motion. And in this case, he's, uh, he's intervening to save. Let's I mean, think back historically in life of some of the great church fathers. Uh, Martin Luther, studying to be a lawyer, is caught out in the midst of a violent storm. Terrifying storm. He uh, says, God, if you rescue me, I'll, I'll become a priest. That's exactly what happens. He's saved. And so he's going to remain true to his vow. His father disowns him. All of his friends try to persuade him. Oh, come back to school and all the good times that we had. Uh, Luther uh, becomes an Augustinian monk. And eventually, of course, the word reaches him. The just shall live by faith. But all the while, God is intervening in Luther's life. Uh, just like he has in your life. Different occasions. Different ways. But uh, just as radical and just as important. Another great church father, Augustine, uh, lived a life of moral debauchery, uh, became a believer in false religion, uh, struggled mightily. Uh, one day he hears the voice of a child. Can't see the child, but he simply hears it. Take up and read. So he goes and finds his nearest Bible, uh, simply opens it. It happens to open Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Uh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh. And in a moment, he comes to faith in the Savior. God's radical intervention, the voice of a child. Seemingly by chance. Of course, you and I don't believe in chance because there is no chance in a providential sovereign universe, but God intervened. Augustine, Luther, two of the great church fathers. Uh, the immediate effect of uh, the earthquake, prison doors are open, the chains are loosed. Uh, but there's, there's an unseen effect that Luke doesn't really comment upon that is just as profound uh, to me, and that is none of the prisoners bolt. They stay there. Very unnatural, but God restrains men, in this case, together one, a family of one. I find that most remarkable at all. We're always looking for great events, but God simply comes and He, he tells uh, the earth to shake because He's after one man and one family, and that's all. I, uh, I love the uh, reminder of uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. Don't, don't despise little things. 
Uh, the American church were always after big stuff. In this case, just one, one man, a jailer. A jailer. Well, obviously the quake also awakens the jailer. He presumes uh, an escape and so he prepares to take his own life uh, because uh, if he doesn't, then civil authority is going gonna, is gonna to execute him because that was the, that was the charge if uh, men escaped on your watch. Uh, but God intervenes with the Apostle Paul in the Gospel. So, we, we, we transition now from nature, which cannot save, to the Word of God, which can. So Paul tells him that no one escaped. He says, we're all here to the jailer. Some way the jailer sees the presence of God in the earthquake. Book of the Revelation, the great, the great earthquake announces the second coming of Christ. And men, uh, we know from Revelation chapter 6, uh, try to hide from the wrath of the Lamb. But there's no place to hide. I do think that sometimes God whispers in violent storms to remind us that our, our shelters are totally inadequate. Yeah, we ought to build shelters. I think on my street, uh, uh, after a couple of storms uh, a year or so ago, I think three people put in those storm shelters in their garages. Great, I was glad for them. Yeah, we build shelters. Uh, we think we can escape. Uh, when, when God comes in judgment, there is no escape. There is no hiding. Our shelters simply will not work. And it is, I think, important to remember if you're not a Christian. Think about violent storms. Hurricanes. Perhaps some of you have seen them or experienced them. Uh, violent winds. Uh, it it's just simply a portent of a greater judgment yet to come. A reminder, God is whispering. No place to hide. And in the case of uh, Acts chapter 16, the jailer responds with one of the great questions of all of life. Verse 30, what must I do to be saved? The danger inherent in the nature of this earthquake awakens him to how perilous life is absent nature's God. And so he implicitly knows that he cannot withstand uh, the violence of uh, God's judgment. The, the question really is one of divine necessity. What is it necessary for me to do to be saved? Because there's no escape or remedy with man. Let's look at Revelation chapter 6, the New Testament. God begins to shape, shake uh, uh, nature at the coming of Christ. Um, 
And so the kings of the earth and all the mighty men, the powerful and everyone else and in between begin to go to their shelters. Uh, verse 15, they hide themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall upon us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now notice verse 17. For great is the day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Rhetorical question. Who is able to stand? The answer is obvious. No one can stand before the wrath of the Lamb of God. So Paul turns the jailer away from himself to what God has done. I would remind you of that if you're not a Christian. No one can withstand God's divine judgments when He comes. There's only one place of safety. There's only one that is qualified to save. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, verses 31 to 32. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. Uh, the first verse is an imperative. Believe. Have trust. Have faith. That Christ is the only place of safety. Only he can hide you from the wrath of God. The sole object of the imperative, again, is obvious, the Lord Jesus. doesn't say believe in this God or that God or nature or believe in whatever God you've chosen in your life. All are rejected but one. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else is able to save. In the entirety of the divine perfections, only the God-man. is able to save. Every other shelter uh, is inadequate and unable. Perhaps one of the most popular ones in our own culture is, well, I've lived a pretty good life. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get on the scale and I'll be okay. None can save. Certainly you cannot. You are not qualified because you're a sinner as well. Uh, some people place uh, their faith in their priest. Well, problem with priests is they're sinners too. And they cannot dispense the grace of God. Only God can dispense His favor in His mercies. I'm reminded of the power of uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. Everyone else is disqualified. Let's turn to that text. Uh, perhaps you're casting about in your own mind wondering uh, if there's another Savior anywhere in all of the world. Acts chapter 4. In verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. All are disqualified save the one God-man. In the majesty of the divine provision, all men are under judgment. And so God comes to intervene in His Son. God assumes human nature. 
obeys the entirety of the law. In the majesty of perfections, there is uh, salvation. There's salvation in no one else. Luke ransacks heaven and earth and comes up empty except for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that God intervenes in history and His Son to effect salvation. Remind you that this is the, the theology that Luke is using from the great prophet Isaiah. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 41. We know that Isaiah chapter 42 is the first servant song of the promise of the coming of Messiah to rescue the people of God. Uh, but let's look at the inability of every other religion and every other faith and human confidence. It's utter inability from Isaiah chapter 41 uh, in verses 28 and 29. But now when I look, Isaiah says there is no one. There is no counselor among them. Who, if I ask, can give an answer? Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. And then immediately the divinely charged words of Isaiah chapter 42 in the first servant song, Behold, my servant. And that's Christ, the Messiah. When all are found wanting, we're left but one to turn to, the servant of God who came to serve the purposes of God to gather uh, His people. The gods cannot produce a messenger of good news. They have no answers. And so breaking upon uh, the scene of history is God's divine servant, the first servant song, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 1. I remind you that the servant is a messianic figure provided by God because of the sinfulness of man and the inability of human religions. Uh, he has the Spirit. He will accomplish salvation. But he's not to be denied. He's going to rescue his people. It's very interesting uh, that Matthew quotes the first servant song in the first four verses uh, in chapter 12 of his gospel, verses 18 to 21, I, I simply make that citation to remind you that Matthew is telling us that Jesus fulfills the servant song. He is the divine servant. And in terms of the theology of Isaiah, he affects the end time restoration uh, and the promises of God. In the second half of the first servant song, God speaks to his servant and his purposes in a string of beautiful appointments. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. And I will appoint you a covenant to the people as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, to save a jailer and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. 
achieving a remarkable fulfillment of divine intervention. Think about it in this way. God has intervened in nature. God has intervened in His Word. God intervenes in His servant Son. Reminding us of God's ability and uniqueness to intervene. To manifest His presence in divine miracles. In our case, God in Jesus has just opened a prison. Uh, The text also reads that God, through the Apostle Paul, spoke the word to him. He's intervened in his word. The majesty of the word of God. Uh, Nature can only speak to judgment. The word of God speaks to salvation. The divine revelation. that God gives us a record of his salvation. His intervention in Jesus. We are not privy in our context to... uh, Everything that God spoke to the jailer, but we, I think, can well surmise that it's messianic fulfillment, it's substitutionary atonement, uh, and the great theology of justification. Uh, Paul Paul, uh, speaks to this in uh, Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. With the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That's what he's telling the jailer. That's the answer to the great question, what must I do to be saved? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And all the theology of who he is and what he did. Uh, the great work of substitutionary atonement, that he took our place, became our substitute, and affected our justification. Uh, That his righteousness, the entire basis of our salvation, because we don't have any that can stand the test of uh, the divine court. Nevertheless, at some point in these two verses, Acts 16, he believes, he apprehends the knowledge, Uh, has a conviction that it's true, and he relies upon Jesus for salvation. And this too is by divine intervention. How come he gets it? And seemingly so many others do not. Because God intervenes. Think of the previous text of Acts 16. Lydia was listening to the word of the Lord, and God opened her heart to understand the things spoken by the apostles. In the case of the jailer, he's listening intensely because he's seen the divine presence in an earthquake. But God opened his heart and he believes. God opened his heart. Divine intervention. It's really the ultimate prison a heart that is welded shut. God is able to open it. In this case, he does. The parallel to Lydia is astounding. I'm taken aback by the fact that it's simply one. Lydia and a bunch of women are gathered, but God opens her heart. No one else is mentioned. In this case, there's, I'm sure there were other guards watching different gates. There were other prisoners there. Just simply one jailer and one household. 
Think of the power of, of God rescuing seemingly what might be insignificant to us. A jailer. That's the grace of God. That we were prisoners and God set us free. The power of God. Well, the jailer responds. And uh, Luke gives us actions that are indicative of a true faith. I, I spoke about uh, Paul's response. Uh, they're, they're singing. Uh, they're praying. They respond to the jailer with the word of God. Look at the response of the jailer. First, he includes his entire household. So he too becomes an evangelist. He wants uh, Paul uh, to speak to his household. Secondly, at that very hour, he washed their wounds. Thirdly, he was baptized along with his household. So he makes a remarkable identification with Christ. To confess Christ. He renounces whatever religion he might have. Solely for Christ. His loyalty is now to Christ. Fourthly, he extends hospitality to Paul and to Silas. The Greek text is he literally set a table for them. And lastly, he rejoices, Acts 16.34, uh, having believed in God. He rejoiced greatly that God intervened in his life. There's another key in this text of, uh, of God's intervention, and namely the civil authorities uh, release Paul and Silas. Uh, Paul claims his right as a Roman citizen. The city fathers apologize and encourage him to leave. Before doing so, Paul goes to the house of, uh, of Lydia where there's a house church, and he encourages the brethren, Acts 16.40. He went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren... They encouraged them and departed. Again, we, we do not know from the immediate text what Paul said to encourage them. Let me give you a hint of what I think it is uh, from Acts chapter 14 uh, in verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The final form of the kingdom, the visible form of the kingdom when Christ comes again. Uh, you're going to be thrown into different prisons in life. I don't know how to define them or what they might be. Uh, be faithful. Trust God. Knowing that He is entirely able to intervene in His own time, in His own way. The theology is the theology of perseverance. We persevere because God is able to intervene. We wait patiently for Him. It's the entirety of the text. It's a lesson of Joseph. It's a lesson of the Apostle Paul. Waiting upon God. One of the hardest things to do in our culture is to wait. But the Scriptures bid us to wait patiently upon God. Expectantly upon God. Because he can manifest the full spectrum of all of nature in the Word of God and Christ Himself to intervene. He can, and of course He does. 
And we're to continue faithful as evidence of that intervention. And so a remarkable lesson this morning of divine intervention. We, we respond like the Apostle Paul. We pray. We wait expectantly. We share the gospel, knowing all the while that God will intervene because He always does. He is a faithful God. God is faithful. He's faithful to rescue His own. He's faithful to gather His people. And none will be lost. That's why we wait patiently. Uh, we also uh, pray that He would come quickly. Uh, but we can wait, persevering in the faith, knowing all the while, in the time of God, He will intervene. And uh, to us, He will be gracious and kind and merciful because we are the sons of God in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, I remind you of the question of our jailer this morning. What is it necessary for me to be saved from the earthquakes of life? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But for those of you who have believed to find comfort, courage, strength, to persevere in the faith. If you're not a Christian, I trust our God will open your heart that you might believe and hope in Him whom to know is to know life everlasting and the joy of the faith regardless of the circumstances of life because great is our God.